The following is a sermon from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information and resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Good morning, Park Church. Good morning. I'm going to welcome uh, Dwight Gilliland up on stage. Can you guys welcome Dwight? Dwight, uh, Dwight is one of my favorite people on the planet, uh, a dear, dear friend uh, who has loved me and my family in so many incredible ways and loved this church really beautifully. Uh, the passage we're looking at this evening, or this, uh, this morning, is uh, Ecclesiastes 11, uh, verse 7, all the way through Ecclesiastes 12, 8. And it's a passage where uh, somebody later on in life is speaking to younger people uh, just to offer the wisdom of life as they approach the last stages of their life. And Dwight, at the age of 95, is older than everybody in the room. I guarantee it. Uh, I guarantee it. And so you are all younger people. And so Dwight's going to speak to you from the Word of God uh, to those who are younger. He's going to first uh, be reading from the English Standard Version. And then after reading from the English Standard Version, he's going to read from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible, The Message. Uh, this passage in particular has a lot of uh, really kind of um, difficult to understand metaphors. And so Eugene's paraphrase just kind of brings it down to earth in a really accessible way. So he'll do both of those things. So open your hearts to God's Word. Thanks, Dwight. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, a couple of months ago, I injured my knee and I have a little trouble getting up and downstairs. I usually come to church with my friend Merlin. She told me that if I fell, that she was not going to provide mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. <clears throat> Is that still true? <laughs> uh, we're going we're, we're gonna to read uh, first from the ESV. They're, they're, these are the Bibles that are in your pews. Um, if you need a Bible, want a Bible, uh, take, take one of these. Um, put your name in it. It should be your very own. Uh, we're, we're, going, we're on page 524 if you're following this. And you can um, <laughs> read the right words in case I don't. starting to see at verse uh, uh, 7 in chapter 11. Uh, lights, uh, light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. 
Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain and the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. All is vanity. And now for the message. Uh, <clears throat> oh, how sweet the light of day. How wonderful to live in the sunshine. Even if you live a long time, don't take a single day for granted. Take delight in each light-filled hour, remembering that there will also be many dark days, and that most of what comes your way is smoke. You who are young, make the most of your youth. Relish your youthful vigor. Follow the, the impulses of your heart. If something looks good to you, pursue it. But know also that not just anything goes. You have to answer to God for every last bit of it. Live foot loose and fancy free. You won't be young forever. Youth lasts about as long as smoke. Honor your Creator while you're still young, before the years take their toll and your vigor wanes, um, <laughs> before your vision dims and the world blurs and the winter years keep you close to the fire. In old age, your body no longer serves you so well. Muscles slacken, grip weakens, joints stiffen. The shades are pulled down on the world. You can't come and go at will. Things grind to a halt. The hum of the household fades away. You're awakened now by birdsong. Hikes to the mountains are a thing of the past. Even a stroll down the road has its terrors. Your hair turns apple blossom white. Adorning a fragile and impotent matchstick body. Yes, you're well on your way to eternal rest while your friends make plans for your funeral. Life, lovely while it lasts, is soon over. Life as we know it, precious and beautiful, ends. The body is put back in the same ground it came from. The spirit returns to God who first breathed it. It's all smoke, nothing but smoke. The question says that everything smoke. These are the words of the Lord. Can we thank Dwight for reading?
I don't want you to fall. I don't want you to fall either. I, I, I know. I don't want to give you mouth to mouth either, to be honest. <laughs> Love you, Dwight. Thank you. Um, it's a powerful uh, message uh, that we're going to be getting into this morning. Uh, I want to acknowledge I'm losing my voice a little bit. I've been losing my voice throughout the week, and so we'll, we'll do our best here. Uh, I'm going to... Jason, could you grab my... Grab my... This is my... The Holy Spirit plus throat coat plus honey equals like we might make it through. Uh, we are going to pray that the Holy Spirit would uh, minister to our hearts through this passage and that he'd meet us in a really significant way. This is the penultimate week in our series through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. And so let's pray that God would meet us in a powerful way. Now, Jesus, we need you this morning desperately. Uh, not just for like the, the frailty of my voice, but even in the weakness of just human beings gathering together, we need your power. We need the power of your Holy Spirit to come into this place to take your word, which is breathed out by your spirit, inspired by your spirit, and to penetrate our hearts with a, with a goodness of who you are, the transformative power of the gospel. Would you help us, even as we contemplate our own mortality, would you help us to see Jesus more clearly, even as we gain wisdom from being honest and real about, about our lives and the frailty and the transience of our lives. Would you help us to see in Jesus, one who sees us, who's come alongside us, who's suffered with us, and who has risen to give us hope. And so lift our eyes to Jesus as we consider our death. Would you help us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I, am, uh, I, I believe plenty of weird things. Uh, mostly, I, I like, I'd like to think there are things that the Bible talks about that are just like very countercultural and odd, and I'm comfortable believing those, um, but I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist. Um, one, it just takes too much energy, I think. Like, it's like there might be conspiracies out there, but the energy it takes to sort it out and to care is just too much. And so I'm just like, hey, I'm just going to take life for what it gives me. I believe then that the earth is round. I believe that birds are real. Um, I, I believe that the trails behind the jets are condensation, not chemicals, bringing population control. I drink water out of the faucet and out of the hose because it's better and best out of the hose. You can taste everything when it comes out of the hose. You can taste it all. So, so I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist, but, but I think there is a conspiracy or maybe, maybe it's not like an intentional conspiracy by any individual person, but there is a kind of cultural conspiracy that is at play, that I believe is at play in our society that it's really overwhelming. And it surrounds you all the time, and it's this. It's this lie that's claiming that you will be young forever. You'll be young forever. And this isn't a conspiracy that's played at your head. We all know that we're going to die. That's, that's an obvious reality. But it's a conspiracy that's played at your heart. It's a conspiracy that's played at your desires. It's a conspiracy that's played at your understanding of what the good life is and what's worth pursuing in your life. And so this is all around you in the form of marketing, advertisements, social media, uh, entertainment industries, what's being put all around you as young, beautiful people 
that are enjoying the best of what life has to offer. And it's kind of put before you in a way that says, if you can kind of like pursue this product, if you can get this service, if you buy these beauty products, get this gym membership, wear these kinds of clothes, wear your hair like this, have these kinds of friends, get this kind of job, get this kind of a house, you too can be like this beautiful person that we all long to be like, this young, youthful, beautiful person. So this is in the advertisements. Again, it's when you scroll through your social media. It's the kind of very fact that what we celebrate in society are the young, fit, athletic, successful, entertaining, beautiful people. That's what's celebrated in our society. This is the pinnacle, and it's what you can be and could be. What there's not a lot of is advertisements that kind of are honest about the other side of life. There are. There are actually quite a few advertisements if you're watching TV or watching ads on your streaming service or whatever it is. There are quite a few ads with elderly people in them. What are those ads marketing? Yeah, life insurance and medication, pharmaceutical products, right? And you're like, who does that market? When you listen to the side effect list, it's like, that is so ridiculous that all those things are possible side effects of that. Like, who is this marketing to? And it's the tens of thousands of people that are sequestered in our society into nursing homes, assisted living facilities, retirement communities. What we've done as a society is we've taken what used to be kind of intergenerational living where you live alongside the elderly people in your life. And as a society, for, for better or for worse, my point's not even to make an indictment, but just to name it, we've created homes apart from and away from the rest of society where people age and go through the most brutal part of life. The breakdown of their mind, the breakdown of their relationship, the loss of their friends, and the decay and deterioration of their body. It's a beautiful, it's a, it's a brutal, brutal journey, and it's happening every day all across our city. Tens of thousands of people, there's around 100,000 people in the U.S. that are living in assisted care facilities. It's an overwhelming, overwhelming number. And so this is happening all around us. There's being pushed away, and when it's pushed away, something happens. It, what begins to happen is what's stripped away from all of us is the wisdom that comes from contemplating the second half of life, and in particular, the reality of our mortality. When you're surrounded by death and dying, and you're surrounded by people who have lived a life but are beginning to let go, their body is breaking down, their skin is getting more wrinkly, their hair is turning white, and they're losing their hair, their speech is slowing down, their limbs are beginning to shake, you're, you are faced with a reality that this life that you're building is fragile. In the words of Kohelet, the preacher of Ecclesiastes, it's fleeting, it's like vapor. And when you face those things, it actually offers you a wisdom for how to live, a wisdom. The way the psalmist says it in Psalm 90 is teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And that's what Ecclesiastes 11 and 12 is offering us. It's offering us wisdom for life by encouraging us to contemplate our mortality. That thinking about your death will change the way that you live. Thinking about your death will change the way that you live. There's, um, uh, in society, there's been past periods of time where people kind of took this to another level, especially in arts. And so I want to show you two images. Uh, the first is of uh, St. Francis. And this is an image, it might be hard to see. It's really, it's a dark image on purpose, uh, but in our room, it's in particular a little bit challenging. But it's this hooded figure of St. Francis, a 13th century friar, who's holding a skull, and just contemplating a skull. This image was painted in the 17th century in the kind of early 1600s. 
in a season where there's a new style of art that was called vanitas art, which is the Latin word, vanitas is the Latin word for vanity, which they got from the book of Ecclesiastes. And this became a whole kind of genre of art uh, throughout, especially in kind of like Spanish art in the 17th, 16th, 17th century, vanitas art. So I wanna show you the next image here. Uh, which is a little different. This is kind of the quintessential image of Vanitas art. It, it's like a still life thing that came out of kind of the Dutch art movement. So still life imaging. And in the middle, they'd have all these kind of like artifacts of life. So flowers, kind of a lyric book, a pen, a paper, coins, there's dice on the screen. And there, different artists would put different kind of images on there. But in all these images, there'd always be a skull and often an hourglass, two symbols of the mortality of the human life. And what this was imaging was the reality that our life, just like a flower, fades. Just like these images on the screen behind you. Our life is fading, it's vanity, it's fragile, it's dying. And what they put on these are symbols of the kinds of things that we live for and reminding us, if life is fading, what are these coins? What, what about these dice? What about the work we do, the music we write, the songs we sing, the beauty we create? reminds us to contemplate our death, to contemplate our death. And that's what Ecclesiastes is doing. And so what I wanna do this morning is walk us through, I'm gonna use three Latin phrases uh, to kind of create the hooks. And these are common Latin phrases, not kind of like weird, heady ones. Um, I love ancient languages. I'm not like a huge Latin guy, but I think you'll know most of these phrases. But I think they'll help make the kind of movements in this passage a little more memorable. And they are these, carpe diem, coram deo, and memento mori. Carpe diem sees the day, coram Deo, before the face of God. Memento mori, remember, you will die. So that's what we're gonna do, and we'll see how this points us to Jesus. Would you look with me? We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse seven. We'll go all the way through the end of chapter 11 uh, to kind of explore these first two points. It says this, light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. He's talking about these kind of beautiful days, the image of, of these like summer sunny days when life is good. And he speaks kind of more specifically to what he's referring to. So if a person lives many years, like in those summer days, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. He, he's kind of portraying what we'd looked back at in Ecclesiastes chapter three, that you enter into the world, kind of we talked about that Shakespeare quote, all of life is a stage and all the men and women are merely players. We have our entrances and our exits. We talked about kind of you come on the stage of life and you're born and it's like, man, growth and exploration and youth and adolescence and young adulthood and marriage and family and career and job and life. He's saying those are the summer sunny days, summer sunny days. Enjoy them all. But remember the days of darkness are coming. Everything's vanity. It's all vapor. It's all fleeting. So he says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So remove vexation or kind of frustration from your heart. That's where Eugene said, live footloose and fancy free. Like, remove the stress from your heart and put away the pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. It doesn't say meaningless, fleeting. It's fleeting. And so the first thing is carpe diem, seize the day. Enjoy the life you've been given. This is a command from God to enjoy your life. We've been talking about 
Ecclesiastes, the reality that the things you build, the things you achieve, the things you chase after are vanity. The point isn't to say that they're worthless. The point isn't to say that they're evil. The point is to say that they're fleeting. And what the author here says as he's kind of rounding out his whole speech, these are the last phrases from Kohelet all the way to verse 8. He's saying, take those young years and live them. In the phrase, Latin phrase carpe diem, the, the word carpe is this more uh, kind of agrarian image of plucking up something when it's ripe. Like pluck it up while it's ripe. Like when you have, when you have a life where you have passion, desire, energy, interests, you know, motivations, like live it, live it well. Your youthfulness is a gift of God to be lived. Your energy, your passion, your interest, your desire to, to, to invest in relationships, your desire to build something meaningful in this world, your desire to, to contribute to works that matter, your desire to enjoy the gifts of God and creation, your sexual interests and passions, your appetite and your taste, these are good things given by God to be engaged with and pursued in your youth. Youth is a season of life, and what the author of Ecclesiastes is saying, Kohelet the preacher is saying, engage in it, enjoy the life you've been given. The, the command is rejoice, O young man, in your youth. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them, but let him remember, let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. We're called to enjoy these days, these ages, because they will fade away. Uh, one of our elders, Josh Sines, had um, recommended me, uh, to me recently this um, exercise from this book. It's called Habits of the Household uh, by Justin Whitmull Early. And uh, it's an exercise called the Family Aging Chart. And he did it, and he's like, commended it as like a meaningful exercise. So I took some time and worked on it myself, and I'll kind of throw an image up on the screen of, of mine. Uh, this is not a life plan. Uh, it's not a life plan. In fact, I, I, because I wrote this word hevel up at the top, that's Hebrew for hevel. Uh, one, because I'm a nerd. And, I, um, and two, because I just want to remind myself, this is not like the way it's going to work out. But what I have here and what Justin Whitmore early encourages is to write down the years, maybe 20 or 30 years in the left-hand co column. And then across the right, I have a column for every person in your life. And so we've got four kids. Just put the ages. And so these are the ages of our, our family in August of this year. And just kind of like look at it. And you kind of like, so you take some time and you do it and you step back and you look at it. And so I've got here like, man, my son is graduating in just a few years. I got like four, maybe five years with him left in the house. That's crazy. My daughter turns 13 in just two years, really. That's incredible. Like looking at, man, when I get to, you know, my, we have our 20th anniversary coming up. When I get to my 30th anniversary, I'll be 52. I'll have a, a son who's 26 a daughter who's 24, a son who's 21, and then little Sophia's still gonna be 14, which is awesome, make us feel young. Got a kid in the house, stretch that out. Then I started thinking like, man, when I'm in my 50s, how old will my parents be? Man, they'll be in their late 70s. A lot of, a lot of my grandparents didn't last in their late 70s. What would it be like to care for my aging parents? And when I was in my late 20s, we had a couple kids. What a, man, being a grandpa. You start looking at this and you're like, man, you, you get a kind of bird's eye view. Again, this isn't a life plan, but it's like life is going to come and life is going to go. And it's moving quick. It's moving quick. And what the author of Ecclesiastes is saying is like, hey, pay attention. There's a day when the things you're, paying, you're doing right now are going to fade. Say this to young people in the room. Like, 
Every moment, this, this is your life right now. It's not coming. It's not next year. It's today. Young families, this is your life today. Who are you today? How do you show up today? What are you engaging in today? What are you pursuing today? What are you seizing today? What are you investing in today? This, this elderly person, Kohelet, is saying to young people, when you're young, enjoy it every bit of the life you've been given. Carpe diem. Second, lest you get out ahead of yourself, Coram Deo. Coram Deo. You live before the face of God. You live before the face of God. And he says it right here in the passage, really kind of directly. He says this, rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart. That means like, man, if there are desires, go get them. And in the sight of your eyes, what you see to do, go do it. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Like the day of judgment will come. Judgment will come. Everything you do is before the eyes of your maker. And you will give an account as a human being for everything you did. Everything you did with your mind, everything you did with your money, everything you did with your body, everything you did with your appetite, everything you did in your relationships, everything you did with your family, everything you did in public, everything you did in private, you will give an account for all of it. And the point isn't to terrify you, the point is to sober you with reality. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment you will give an account. And so the image and the message here isn't go do whatever you want, it's all fine, God gave you the world, chase whatever you like. It is engage in life, but do it on purpose. Do it with righteousness and with wisdom. That's been the message all the way through Ecclesiastes. Yes, the righteous and the unrighteous will both go through that door. Yes, the wise and the fool will both go through that door. But to live with righteousness and wisdom is who you were designed to be. And so the kind of takeaway is pursue righteousness. Trust God, follow him, follow his way. We'll have the whole sermon about that next week. That's how the whole kind of like culmination of the story is fear God, keep his commandments. This is what the duty of humanity is all about because God will bring every thought into judgment, whether for good or for evil. But that's next week. That's next week. And so kind of in the meantime, I'll kind of give you another quote that kind of sums it up. Uh, this one's from another wise sage man by the name of Dwight Schrute, um, who says this, uh, whenever I'm about to do something, I think, would an idiot do that? And if they would, I do not do that thing. Um, that is li literally, truly on my boy's wall in their room as a present from their father. Uh, just like, hey, just sage wisdom from Dwight from Dwight. No, live with wisdom, like engage in life, live it, but live it with wisdom because you live before the face of God, carpet, uh, quorum Deo. Uh, the, last, the last thing we're going to look at is this idea of memento mori. Memento mori. Uh, this is a Latin phrase that was popularized by the Stoics, but was used a lot by Christians throughout the first, second, third century, again, repopularized in the 16th and 17th century to talk about that vanitas art, to remember and contemplate your death. And that's exactly what's happening here in the last part of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, one and following. I'm gonna read it. What you're gonna hear is this imagery of the breakdown of a household. 
And this imagery of the breakdown of a household is cast in this, in, in the kind of Hebrew literary terminology, it's called apocalyptic genre. So these kind of like epic images of uh, kind of, uh, kind of, growing storms and uh, this kind of like uh, really ominous environment that's leading to the desolation of a household or a kingdom. And so it's this apocalyptic image that Hebrew authors would often use to talk about this impending cataclysmic time of judgment. But it's cast not kind of over the nation of Israel, it's cast over the individual human person. And so many Hebrew writers, including ancient Jewish scholars, would interpret each of these different aspects and elements inside the household, the different parties and the different objects that are referred to as actual parts of the human body and the breakdown. So we'll kind of read through it once, getting kind of the big image, the metaphor of the breakdown of the household, and then we'll go through it again and look at some of the correspondences that people have um, sorted through over the years. And so here's what it says. So remember also your creator in the days of your youth on this side of the stage, before the evil days come, in the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them, over on this side of the stage. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, it's this picture of this winter storm that's rolling in. It's coming. The winter storm is coming. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors in the streets are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Now this imagery of a funeral. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Again, the image is of this winter storm that's rolling in, that's threatening to undo and desolate a whole household. So these images of strong people and guards and people that were kind of uh, working the, the mills and grinding grains and people at the windows and, and these kind of images of the agriculture in the area. And, and again, over the, over the years, and when you look back at some of the earliest Jewish interpretations, they saw in these ways and kind of idioms, metaphors, to refer to the breakdown of the human body. And so in this sense, the winter storm is these later years of life the guards that are trembling are the trembling of, of your limbs when you start to lose control even of your body. If you've ever been around people in the later stages of life, the trembling that begins to happen, the uncontrollable trembling is so common. The strong men are bent. This is this idea of a hunched over posture, whether it's the legs or the back, there's different opinions, but you get this image of, of a person that's hunched over, that's shaking, that's coming to the later stages of life. The grinders Stop their grinding because they are few. What do you imagine that being? The teeth. The teeth are being lost, again, in a world where there's no real dental work. The teeth, they just pull the teeth when they are old and decaying. The women looking through the windows is this idea of the eyes that are dimming, the world itself blurs. The doors closing is the ears themselves. 
not being able to hear, the rising early, just the inability to get through the night and a full night's sleep, to wake before the dawn, the inability to hear the singers, the, the fading sound of the singers again, just the inability to hear the music and appreciate it, the, the fear of heights, to climb up on a ladder or to go upstairs is a lot more terrifying now because the prospect of a fall is a lot more daunting. It's not like a little kid can scrape their knee and get up and kind of give mom and dad, give it a little kiss and move on your way. If you've been around elderly people who have taken a fall, it can be really devastating, really devastating. Sometimes uh, irrecoverable. Even walking down the street has its new terrors and dangers and risks. And all of this is before these final images of this lamp, this oil lamp that's hanging on a silver cord and that cord breaks. And that oil lamp that has the fire and the light of life and the oil of life, it falls to the ground and breaks. Or this other image of life uh, that would be like water in a, in a vase or in a bowl at a cistern or a well or a fountain where they'd have a wheel that would drop that water down and you could pull it up. But when that wheel breaks and that vase falls and drops and all of a sudden the contents are empty, this is the image of your body going back to the dust from whence it came and your spirit returning to the God who gave it. It's a really sobering and beautiful and brutal description of the breakdown of the human life and the experience of death. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with that? A few things, a few things. What, what he's offering is that contemplating this memento mori offers you wisdom. It offers you wisdom. What's the wisdom? One, just to get honest, that death is brutal. You can tuck it away. You can push it to the margins of society. You can try hard not to think about it, but it's real and it's brutal. If you've had the, the, the opportunity, I don't know the best word, to sit alongside people in those later moments of life, which sat in those spaces as a family member and sat in those spaces as a pastor, and it's one of the most devastating things to experience, just the failing of the human body. Many of you have felt that, you've sat by loved ones, and it's sobering. It's humbling. Or, or maybe you've come to a funeral and you've heard people contemplating, whether you've seen an open casket or just to, to think about this person that was in your life and now it's just an empty chair at an empty table, it's an empty seat in a, in a sanctuary, it's an empty place at the Thanksgiving table, that somebody that was there, you feel those realities and that person's gone. It, it begins to make you think about things. It makes you think about, what am I living for? What really matters? What do I value? What am I engaged in? What am I pursuing? What am I hoping in? And to remember the brutality of death helps us to get honest about that. As, as, as uncomfortable as it is, it's important. Second is that it's inevitable. It's inevitable. That, that's so obvious, but it's so hard for us to take time to slowly think about it. And so the last piece is that death should be contemplated. Like those images from the 16th century, 17th century, like this passage here, death should be contemplated. And when you contemplate it, it offers you incredible, incredible wisdom. And the wisdom is this. When you contemplate your death, you begin to think about what it means to live on purpose. Live on purpose. This is your life. When we can talk about stage over here, coming on the stage, we can talk about that other side. We can see a man like Dwight at the age of 95. You don't know 
you don't know what your life is. I've sat at funerals in the past year and a half with an 18-year-old, babies, 69-year-old, sat at funerals and been involved in funerals for men in their 30s with two kids. Last year, had a man die as part of our congregation, young 20s. You don't know. So this is your life. Live on purpose, momentum more. Remember, you will die. And we need to live our life on purpose. Second, appreciate the simple things, the beautiful things all around you. All around you are evidence of the goodness of God. Your life is full of beauty and goodness. Do not live your life only looking at the pain and the difficulty. This passage encourages you, know that these days are coming, that you will have no pleasure in them. There are gifts even there to experience, but the day is coming when your body will go back to the dust and your soul will go to its maker. And it says, when you're living, enjoy the goodness all around you. Rejoice in those things. Enjoy the simple things. Third, another piece of wisdom that he's offered throughout this message is care more about relationships than about accomplishments, accumulation, or social status. He said that many times throughout this thing, that your social status, your accomplishments, your achievements, those are like those images, like the coins and the dice, those fade. It's the love you offered and the love you received that has this immense value to generation after generation after generation. And last, I think this is where the whole book of Ecclesiastes is pointing us, is that when you contemplate your death, it begins to teach you to long for Jesus differently. The book of Ecclesiastes is written as a part of the Hebrew Bible, and our conviction is that the Hebrew Bible is written messianically. It was written with the expectation and and anticipation that God would be sending someone to solve this problem. When you look at the very end of this passage, you can see it right here, where he says, and the dust returns to the earth as it was. Where is that coming from? That's not just an observational reality. That's a theme throughout Scripture that's repeated over and over and over that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve, the first humans, decided to push away from the love of God and the authority of God and to figure life out on their own terms, to try to suck all the joy out of life apart from their maker apart from his authority, apart from his presence, and apart from his love. And what God said is the day you say no to my authority and you take that right, that right to decide what's right and wrong on your own, you grasp for that prerogative on your own to do it your own way, you will separate yourself from me, the God of life, and you will surely die. You will surely die because he is life. He is love. He is joy. To separate yourself from him is to choose death. And Adam and Eve grabbed that fruit and they ate, and we've all done the same thing. And in Genesis 3, the Lord begins to unpack the implications of that, call it the curse. And in Genesis 3, 19, God says that the days of your life you will live in futility, kind of eating your bread by the dust of your brow, and then you will return to the dust from whence you came, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. What the author of Ecclesiastes is reminding us of is that death is not just kind of like a, a, a reality that's like natural. It's actually a part of the curse on the world, a curse that's because of human sin, human rebellion. 
And God isn't leaving us there. Ecclesiastes is written with the anticipation that God would send one to come to redeem us from the curse of sin. And that's what Jesus came to do. That's why Paul could say, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's why Paul could say in Corinthians, as in Adam, like in that first human, all people die, but so in Christ shall all be made alive. That's why the apostle Paul could say, for me to live is all about Jesus. To die is gain because I could go and be with him but I'm gonna live that more people would know Jesus and know who he is and what he's done, so I treasure Christ. Jesus entered into this world and he took on human flesh. He took on a mortal body, a body that was subjected to all the things our body was. He, he walked that journey and at the age of 33, right here, at the age of 33, he was wrongfully condemned, brutally executed, he was crucified on a cross and he, breathed out the spirit, and he entrusted his spirit to his maker. And his body was buried in the grave, taking upon him the penalty of our sin, death itself, and the wrath of God that we all deserve. But on the third day, he rose again, defeated death, conquering sin, and offering all who trust in Christ the kind of hope that transcends death itself, that in Jesus, we sang, graves become gardens. In Jesus, bones become armies, and Jesus' ashes are, are made beautiful and can bloom with new life. In Jesus, the grave becomes the gateway to resurrection glory. In Jesus, death is not the end of the story. And that doesn't mean death doesn't offer us the wisdom. It offers us the wisdom to live on purpose. This is your life. But it teaches us to hope in Jesus, who laid down his life to reconcile us to our maker, and rose again from the dead to offer us life beyond the grave, that in Christ, all who trust in him will be made alive. This is our hope, this is the hope of the gospel, and it's the kind of hope that ought to make us a people that are very comfortable contemplating our death, memento mori. It ought to make us people that understand what it means to live quorum Deo before the face of God, trusting in the righteousness of Christ and his love and forgiveness, that we get to stand before God without guilt because of the blood of Christ and his love for us. And it ought to free us to be people that can take today, carpe diem, and live it with purpose and thoughtfulness and intentionality and joy. This is what this book offers us. May we be a people that walk in its wisdom. What, what I want to do uh, now is actually invite Joel and Christina to come back on the stage. We're going to end a little bit differently today. I'm going to invite you all to kind of listen to, and the whole band's going to come up as well. They're going to be singing a song that John and Casey Pedersen wrote a couple years ago um, after, I think Jason preached on this passage for an Ash, Ash Wednesday service in maybe 2019 or 2020. And... Um, and they wrote a really beautiful song that's very reflective and a little bit open-ended. It's inviting you to consider as you think about your own mortality and how are you processing that? What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about God? It's a little bit open-ended, but I think it's a powerful way for us to meditate on the reality, to con consider and contemplate our own death. And then we'll come up and we'll celebrate communion together afterwards. And so consider this song together. So it won't be a congregational song, so I encourage you just to reflect as you listen.
Help us as a people as we contemplate our mortality. Would you help it set on us? Would you help us learn to linger? And in that space, would you strengthen our foundation on Christ? rock of ages, the refuge, the fortress not merely in life, but even in death, the one in whom we can hope. So even as we turn our eyes, Jesus, to the demonstration of your love and your broken body and shed blood and the beauty of the resurrection, would you increase faith in this room? Would you meet us in the realities of all the ways that we get those foretastes of death, suffering, breakdown of our body and the pain and the losses, the failures and the weakness, the griefs and the sorrows, would you remind us that glory awaits us, that hope is real. Would you help us to hope in you? In your risen life, in Christ's name we pray, amen. I want to go ahead and invite the communion servers uh, to make their way forward. Um, Communion is a time that we celebrate every week to remind ourselves of what all this leads towards, which is Jesus, our need for him, for his broken body, his shed blood, and hope that his death and resurrection gives us to every aspect of life and to death. This is the culmination uh, of what we do every week when we look together to Jesus, to his love, his sacrifice, and his resurrection hope. And so for all who put their faith and trust in Christ, this is for you. If you're new to Christianity and not yet a follower of Jesus, we're glad you're here. We'd ask that you kind of hold off on this meal until it means for you what it means for us, which isn't any declaration of superiority. It's quite the opposite. Uh, We're a community that's come to terms with the fact that we need a savior. Uh, we've messed up royally and we can't fix ourselves. And, uh, and we need Jesus who laid down his life, shed his blood to bring forgiveness and grace, healing and hope to all who would trust in him and follow him. Um, and so for all those who put their faith and trust in Christ, I invite you to stand as we read this prayer uh, that we've been reading throughout Ecclesiastes and then we'll celebrate communion together. So would you read this with me? Father in heaven, free us from our exhausting efforts to seek satisfaction under the sun. Help us to trust in your presence and walk in your ways, even when we are disoriented by the pains and perplexities of life. Increase our passion to live for Jesus, who alone offers lasting joy and unshakable hope. And let our joy and hope in Christ shine like light in the darkness, such that others will be drawn to your saving love. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. More information and more resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Take care.